everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. and welcome back to another week of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. This is Brittany. Uh, Sharissa is not joining us today, unfortunately, but she is here in spirit. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing one of our incredible docs at the Spodak Dental Group, Dr. Mike Paisner. Um, and today we'll be talking about something that really, in my opinion, is his specialty. And that is the topic of cultivating ideal doctor hygienist relationships. Um, in addition to fostering really healthy communication and collaborative practices with all of the hygienists that we work with, in my opinion. And um, I'll give some background about him and then kind of let him fill us in on anything else that he, he would like to share about how he got where he is today and became the person that he is. Um, so Dr. Mike decided at the age of 13 that he was going to be a dentist and was the first in his family to achieve higher education. And with the help of his family, he was able to achieve Acceptance in the Distinguished Herman Ostrauer School of Dentistry at the University of Southern California. Uh, and after practicing with us at SDG for about six years, he's now the lead doc who helps influence team culture. He refines processes and systems for the docs and serves as our interdepartmental liaison, meaning that we have a lot of communication about how to better the relationships, the communication, and the processes of how our departments work together. That's right. Yes. So thank you, Brittany. I appreciate that. Um, and hello, everybody. So, yeah, uh, I went to school at USC, graduated in 2015, and I've been with the Spodak Dental Group uh, since then. Um, it's really interesting to me to learn about the differences that other practices have, you know, interdepartmentally between hygiene and the doctor staff. It's mm -hmm. almost like they're two separate entities that tolerate each other. That's kind of what I hear about. You know, um, fortunately, I've really never experienced um, a separate department because I've been with SDG this whole time. And when I went, when I was in dental school, you worked so closely with the hygiene department and the perio department. Uh, it was a one-to-one relationship there was no difference as a matter of fact in the hygiene department at USC you actually learn uh, from the hygienists the best way to give blocks and local infiltrations and everything because they would do it all day long they were only doing scaling down there and some profies but mostly scaling so the one patient you saw per day or two patients you saw per day in restorative the hygiene department would be seeing one patient every two hours, I think. Mm -hmm. So they would see four or five times more patients than you. And they had so much more practice um, with injections. So you would actually learn from them and they would help you with instrumentation because the people who were 
uh, grading your work, the people who were uh, watching you do hygiene were hygienists. There were a few periodontists who would walk around mm -hmm. and kind of supervise. Mm -hmm. But out of the 15 people that would walk around the hygiene department while the DDS students were performing hygiene, it was all hygienists. And let me tell you, they would uh, light you up every single day about how you were scaling. <laughs> it was awesome. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. And something that I always have admired about you, and I know that I've told you this when we are not recording and when we are not on camera as well, is I really have always, always really valued and thought really highly and been really thankful about your humility in regards to learning and learning from really anyone, because I think what gets in everyone's way, including me, including assistants, including admin, is like a thought of, I can't learn from this person because they have less education than me, or they have less experience in this particular area, they have less of this, less of that, and we make judgments about who we should and shouldn't learn from, when in reality, I think that it's possible for me to learn from almost anyone and you to learn from almost anyone um, but I think it would be really easy after achieving like a lot of the things that you have achieved, the status that you have achieved in our industry and in our practice, and even just graduating as a doctor from dental school saying like, all right, I don't need to learn from hygienists anymore, or I don't need to learn from, you know, my admin team or whatever, but you have always been really humble and willing to learn. And honestly, I think that's been one of your greatest strengths from the outside looking in. And one of the reasons why you are so successful, you know, it's like your empathy, and your humility. And even, you know, I like to mention this as like a kudos to you is like when you were waiting to get your licensure and you came to Florida, you're waiting to obtain your licensure. You were our, our hygiene assistant and you were a doctor assistant for, for a little while, for a short time while you were just waiting for things to go through. And you had, you had like the best attitude about learning things that you probably already knew better than we did, you know what I mean? And just coming in and, and being willing to serve us and work alongside us and, and, you know, have a great attitude about it. It's just like, there is no greater like rapport and relationship building, I think, than that. So I think that from square one, you know, just who you are has helped us to, it's really influenced the nature of our relationships between the docs and the hygienists, just in general, you know, in general, it's Bodak, I think. So I really, really value that in you. Thank you. And appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's actually, that's a cool thing to touch upon. Um, so going to school in California and coming over to uh, Florida, um, you know, in full, full transparency, when I graduated in 2015, I needed, I uh, needed to retake my part two dental boards because I missed the passing score by one point. Mm -hmm. um, I missed that passing score by one point three times. And uh, I was like, man, what is going on? 74% uh, three times in a row on a two-day exam. It's pretty gnarly. Um, but I figured it out. Uh, I was just studying old material, so mm -hmm. I wasn't getting all of the information. You know, we always pass around uh, the old dental decks and stuff like that. So I got a some great advice to buy the brand new decks. You know, I wasn't working at the time. Um, I was making whatever hourly wage I was as an assistant. So, you know, 400 bucks for a set of note cards is really expensive. Right. Uh, so I bought them. I studied them uh, for a whole year and uh, I couldn't believe it. I mean, every single question on that exam, the fourth time I took it finally, you're down the line. Um, 
was on that test, so I aced it. But um, so that's what helped me up getting my license in 2015 in Florida. Uh, but in that time, I spent uh, at Spodak assisting hygiene. I started actually in sterilization uh, for about two weeks, three weeks. Once I got the hang of sterilization and um, the flow, they started me as a hygiene assistant. I started assisting, uh, I think at the time there were five or five hygienists, I think at the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, taking FMXs, uh, seeing patients, getting uh, updates, med medical history, stocking rooms. You really learn how to appreciate um, having things available and you really learn how to appreciate communication because we all had the little ear sets. Headset. Uh, but I really didn't know how to take an FMX properly after I graduated, mm -hmm. even though we were trained on it and we had competencies on it. But taking an FMX, we have a half hour to take it in mm -hmm. dental school. And then taking an FMX where you have five minutes or less to take it was much different. So mm -hmm. it took me a few days, but man, without the training I got from uh, you guys, honestly, on how to take an FMX, I don't think I'd be as proficient. So uh, you mentioned humility and learning from everybody. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest mistake anyone makes in their life is disregarding other human beings uh, when they're trying to teach them something. And even if that person's trying to teach you something in your heart, you know that either you know how to do it better you still have to listen to them. And then maybe it could become a learning opportunity for them. Maybe you can offer them something. So growing up, my mom always said, like, uh, you know, you have to always keep your ears open to anyone who is willing to talk to you. And um, sometimes it might feel annoying or, you know, listening to everybody. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, uh, you make that person feel good because you're listening to them. And it, I wouldn't be where I would be today if I wouldn't have listened to everybody in my life. Right. And uh, it's a huge thing. Everyone's a human being. It doesn't matter where the words come from, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think, I think when you do that too, there's an opportunity where, you know, we all, I think, tend to assume, I already know this, I know the answer whatever, there's an opportunity for learning there where you didn't think that you had anything to learn. I think that's one thing. But then the other thing is, like you said, when you listen to someone, they're more likely to be open to listening to you. So if there is a tidbit you want to offer back to them and ask like, hey, can I give you some insight? They're probably more likely to allow you to or be open to hearing what you have to say after you've listened to them. Yes. I think it's, it's you know, important in both directions, like you just said. Um, one thing that I want to dive into today is Something that I think is rather, rather rampant, I want to say, I guess that's the right word, um, in our industry. And, you know, Dr. Craig and Dr. Bolden kind of talk about this on their, their podcast a lot, but just about, you know, a lot of the dental forums and social media talking about hygiene-free models of dentistry and, you know, a lot of dentists looking at hygienists as kind of like an inconvenience, a thorn in their side, they're asking for X amount of dollars and that's, it's too much. There's like a difference in the way that the value of hygienists and the hygiene department is perceived 
clearly from like a dental perspective and a hygiene perspective. And this is generalizing. This is not everyone, obviously, you know, I've seen a lot of practices do this really, really right. But I think that one, you know, the nature of social media is that everyone is behind their computer and they tend to air the negative things that they wouldn't potentially say in person, you know? So I think that it's a little more negative than, than we, it, the, the negative that people share on those forums outweighs the positive because of the nature of what social media is. So I think it's a little bit of that. Um, but I think that there is definitely some truth to uh, dentistry, dentist, hygienist, just having this like gross misunderstanding of our unique and similar functions and the way that we could be working together collaboratively to make sure that we are a treating patients holistically and making sure that they are receiving the best care, you know, and receiving specialty care essentially from anyone that they possibly can Um, streamlining the patient process and, and also just, you know, being profitable, being successful as a dental office, maintaining relationships, running the business side of things, running the dental side of things. Like, I think that there's just a gross misunderstanding of like what each of our roles is. And I think that a lot of times, like just the blatant, um, first impression, first impression of numbers for people get in the way of their willingness to look much beyond that. So like a lot of times in in forums, it'll be like, oh, the hygienist is asking for X amount of dollars. And that's just insane. You know, this is just um, crazy. I would never pay them that sort of thing without really like thinking that one through. And I, you know, I'll say from my perspective, kind of like, what my thoughts are about this particular topic, but then I'd love to hear from you because I don't want any dentists listening to say, oh, well, of course you feel that way. Like you're a hygienist, you know, you're biased because you're, you're on that side of the team, not on this side of the team. Meanwhile, right. in my brain and in your brain, I know like we're on the same team and we're heading in the same direction, you know, but like my thought is um, it doesn't make a whole lot of business sense if, if a dollar amount gets in the way of us doing almost anything in life, because one of the most important lessons that I'm learning recently is it's not how much something costs you it's how much it makes you so like if you invest in something and you make you know 30 percent on whatever your investment was versus 100 percent of zero dollars that you invested you still made more by putting money into something you know does that make sense like yeah so so let's let's think of it this way this is the way that I think of it so let's say I'm just using a round number here let's say that you went to dental school and you assumed about half a million dollars in debt by the time you're done, let's just say we're just using these, this number. Okay. Sure. Now you get out and flood your schedule with hygiene procedures so that you don't have to pay a hygienist or maybe, you know, at, at first restorative is slow because you're establishing whatever you've got to establish. So you're taking on a lot of hygiene. That's fine. Um, but if it stays that way, I think it's a problem, you know, and because the common gripe is that hygienists are asking for too much money. This is, this is, in my opinion, just relative to your area, to your style of practice, to your clientele. Um, like there's a lot to consider. And I think it, it does get dangerous when you just look at, at the flat dollar amount and say, well, no, that's too much. Um, and one thing to kind of like remember is no one can be in two places physically at once. So you can't be physically doing restorative and hygiene at the same time. So when you're choosing to do your own hygiene, it's at your own expense, in my opinion, you know, so, so it's that do you want to, you know, do the restorative procedures, which are a lot more highly profitable and productive than hygiene procedures, and let someone else be doing the lower profitable, you know, procedures and still putting, putting butts in your chair at the same time, you know what I mean, for next week, they're loading your chair and, and they're producing. So you've got that primary and secondary 
like income here. It's like, you know, the primary income, what the hygienists are actually doing in their chair that's producing for the office. And then what is coming out of hygiene because of your periodic and comprehensive exams, you know, it, it's, it's the twofold thing, but like you can't be doing both of those things at once. So if you pay your hygienist a third, you know, of whatever it is that they're producing and collecting, like you're still producing and collecting this secondary column while you are producing and collecting your one-to-one ratio of the work that you're doing in your own column. Yeah. You know, so it's my, it's just mind boggling when, when there's just like this lack of business understanding and business sense. And I promise, I don't mean this at all, like to be condescending or, you know, rude to, to my no. dentist. I totally respect dentists and, and, and the huge investment that you guys have made, like in the practice and your own education and all this stuff, totally get it, respect it, understand it. I just get stuck when I see like, oh, the dollar amount is what's stopping everyone up. You know, like yeah. what, what is it that you want to make at the end of the day? And what do you want for your patients kind of thing is how I think of it. No, exactly. So here's the interesting part. So the hygiene position was created by dentists, right? Because they felt the amount of restorative procedures mm-hmm. was increasing. Dentistry, I, I, I don't know when dental hygiene became a profession, mm-hmm. uh, but I do know it was created and the idea was created by dentists who were like, I can't keep up with the amount of dental hygiene that the patient needs because I, A, understand hygiene. I understand periodontal disease and gingival disease. I understand its importance. However, I can't treat the periodontia and treat the, the hard bony structures at the same time in order to give my uh, demographic the, the the care that it needs. So all the dentists out there, they're saying, I don't need a hygienist, that we created hygienists. So kind of remember where you came from before you start to talk about it. And um, first things first, I like to always reference uh, USC in our hygiene department. Um, when When you were in restorative, when you were in your third and fourth year, and your patients needed hygiene, you would do hygiene on your patients until you met your requirements. And the hygiene department, for some reason, was the most difficult department to comp out of. For some, for some people, they just uh, had an act for it. We, ha- we had some hygienists that were in our class, so I don't think they had to take the competencies because they already went through the training. But um, it was the hardest section to comp out of because adequately doing hygiene was extremely difficult. And it taught you that if you didn't practice this every single day and learn all the different instruments, and we used uh, Gracie's, uh, uh, Freedies and all that, and if we didn't learn all those instruments, like backwards and forwards, we weren't cleaning the teeth 100% to the best of our ability. Um, and it would take a very long time. I'll never forget my hygiene competency. I, I, it took me two and a half hours to scale one quadrant on this guy who I 100% needed perio surgery. I think I told you the story. He had like 12 millimeter pockets. Right. He was just like seven foot tall dude. It was crazy. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I, I scaled him. Um, <laughs> I scaled him and it was clean and I passed, but it was out of all the competencies I took mm-hmm. minus my complete denture competency because that was crazy um it was the hardest thing i did yeah and i i remember saying to myself oh my god thank god there's hygienists 
because they practice this all day, mm -hmm. every single day. Um, and I almost think of a hygienist like as an endodontist or a periodontist or an oral surgeon. There's a specialty mm -hmm. that is difficult enough where the breadth of the learning from that specialty can encompass an entire career. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I believe that a general practitioner can dabble in simple things like um, simple endo, simple oral surgery, simple perio. But when you start getting into really difficult procedures that require a lot of extra training, extra time, um, unless you're a savant and you can do everything at the ability of a specialist, mm -hmm. I mean, you're a unicorn, you know, first of all, right. but the average person uh, really shouldn't be taking on difficult procedures that you're getting uh, tested, but let's say uh, evaluated at, at the level of a specialist. Mm -hmm. So I was so grateful that when I started getting into my restorative phases of my learning uh, to refer patients to the hygiene department because the, the product that I got back from the hygiene students at USC, I would get patients back at, for the reavals that had generalized mild perio severe inflammation. Um, I'd get them back and it looked like these people had been brushing their teeth their entire life, flossing every single day. And I, the results were, it was amazing. It was like um, getting your car detailed <laughs> before you stuck a turbo on it, you know? Like, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, awesome. it, was, it was incredible. So there yes. were like three hygienists I always referred to. Mm -hmm. And um, they would get the job done. They would do it quickly, efficiently. And I was getting better at restorative while they were getting better at hygiene. Mm -hmm. um, so if I can try to put myself in the mind of these people who don't want to pay hygienists and all that, just they also have to remember that like an investment, you put money into this person because you want your team to do better. Mm -hmm. The hygiene that they're getting out isn't just the hygiene, you know, we're talking about a second professional that can reiterate your treatment plan, a second set of very capable eyes that can help you diagnose, you know, mm -hmm. hey, Dr. Mike, why don't you check out nine distal and 14 medial, I see something there, even if it's an incipient decay, you're helping me see it. You're relieving the pressures a little bit of diagnosis, which mm -hmm. is my job. Mm -hmm. So a hygienist is so important. Um, it's not about just doing the scaling or doing the cleanings. It's, it's about having a colleague that's there with you, that's helping you become a better dentist. So you can focus on restorative work, proper referrals, and getting better at what you went to school for, rather than trying to focus on everything. Right. And some people will say super GPs are the most profitable, and I disagree. I think you may be in the in the short term because you're doing everything, uh, and you want everyone to do everything. But in the long term, 
the you're you're not becoming a master of anything. You're kind of just doing everything at like eighty percent, seventy percent. Obviously, like you mentioned earlier, demographically speaking, maybe uh, there just isn't a lot of restorative work to do. Mm-hmm. Maybe the people who have teeth wherever you live uh, need cleanings, can't afford major restorative. You're doing amalgams. Um, lots of dentures maybe that's just the lane that you're in or maybe there's just not a lot of hygienists there in the neighborhood but i can't i can't fathom living in like a uh, you know city or uh, a rural neighborhood or something where there's lots of people basically um i can't imagine doing any dentistry without a hygienist Mm -hmm. but it's about learning how to be a team member yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things you just said is so important about how hygienists can make you a better GP. It's it goes in both directions, I think, when it's being done right, you know, because when I take the time or any of the hygienists take the time to, you know, we, we have um, exam note cards that we've discovered. This is kind of the best system for us at Spodak. We, um, we have these laminated sheets for the hygienists when they need a doctor exam, usually at the top of the hour, more toward the beginning of the, the appointment after we've obtained the diagnostics, kind of write in, you know, the patient's name, the time of the appointment, which operatory it is, what the patient's chief complaint is, type of radiographs taken, type of exam we need. Um, our, our preliminary periodiagnosis, any areas of concern that we see on the radiographs. And then we hand that to the doctor while they're doing whatever restorative procedure it is. So it gives them this window of time to come in at their discretion. You know, we know that it's not, we, we don't want to go in and interrupt you. Obviously that's never like, we, we, we have like guilt and feel bad about taking you away from your restorative procedure. So this gives you a little bit of time, like wiggle room, you know, to be like, okay, this is a natural break point, or this is a natural, like, I'm going to go to the lab and look at what's going on or talk to Stefan or whatever. And, and then do your, your hygiene checks. So we, what we hope, <clears throat> excuse me, is that we are putting a lot of the answers on a platter for you to come just say yes to. Yeah. To just like nod your head and be like, yep, you're right. Yep, absolutely. And it, and just streamline the entire process. Because when we do that, it builds trust in both directions. Like you start to trust my evaluation of the patient, right? And it's yeah. not that you don't check. It's that you check and you're like, yes, 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 confirm, confirm, confirm. Or no, 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 we don't need that. We can watch that. We can whatever, you know, so on and so forth. But you know that I'm checking. You know that I'm looking thoroughly. So there's like less doubt in both directions. Like you're you're giving me more confidence by saying, yeah, all that was all that was right. Check, 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 check. So I want to do more of that. I want to do more of it because you acknowledged that I did it. You're looking at the work that needs to be done. You're looking at all the work that I've already put into this, realizing my value. You're getting more out of it and I'm getting more out of it. I feel better as a clinician and as a practitioner and as your colleague than if I did, if I had taken all the time to do all of that work and then you took that and, and you kind of like ignored it or threw out the note card and went and did your own exam. One, it would take double the time. You'd have to then go do exactly what I had just done on the patient. You know, yeah. the exact same thing, like, you, are you going to check the whole period chart? Are you going to, you know, do the yeah. whole thing over again? It's a waste of time, right? I am the prevention perio specialist, non-surgical perio specialist, right? Yeah. So when we're using each other and operating to the best, to the highest and best of our abilities within the scope of our licensure, I think that that's the best possible relationship cultivator that there could be, you know, and I think that that's one of the things that we've really honed 
at Spodak, and one of the things that I'm really, really proud of is the way that those things work. Because I want, and you want, we both understand the vision, we both understand our goals, we understand what we want for the patient. So that equals like great collaborative care like this and a willingness to trust each other. Yeah. Right. And I just think that that's incredible. And I, I feel sad, honestly, when I think of like the forums that are like, oh, these hygienists or, oh, these dentists are just greedy or they're this or that, or the hygienists, I can't believe they're asking for this much money and blah, 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 whatever it is. You know, the accusations flying in both directions. It just makes me so sad because I can see I, I'm, I'm blessed enough to, to see how well it can go. Yeah. And then to watch that happen, it's just like such a, it's such a sad thing. And I wish that more people would be open to hearing that there are alternative ways to do this and it could be really, really great. Hey, Bulletproof Hygiene listeners, we have some big, exciting news. We are proud to announce that our 2022 summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee, June 3rd and 4th. Come join us for a weekend of growth, learning, and collaboration. We'll be taking deep dives into team culture, leadership, hygiene systems, and patient care and education that bring fulfillment, career success, and practice profitability. This course has the potential to change the trajectory of your career and help you practice at the top of your game. If you missed us in 2021, trust us, you don't want to miss this. Visit BulletproofSummit.com to get all the details and reserve your spot. We can't wait to see you there. I want to ask you, I know that we've kind of already touched on this, but just generally speaking, what do you think the general state of hygiene and doctor relationships are like profession-wide and what makes you draw that conclusion? Let me preface with this. I know that you said pretty much right out of school, you came into Spodak. Yeah. So there was a period of time, though, where you weren't sure that you were going to get a full-time position at Spodak, and it was kind of like, oh, okay, maybe maybe I'll have to find a full-time position somewhere else. You're being offered part-time. It was like an hours thing. Something was potentially not going to work out exactly right on both ends. So you were yes. like looking at other areas, uh, other places, and, uh-huh. and interviewing other places. So to me, that maybe would be your perspective or your, you know, your experience with those other offices. So what do you think? taking that experience into account and realizing, obviously you've been with Spodak for the most part, like what do you think is the, the general state of hygiene doctor relationships in our profession? Um, the, okay. So yes. So I did have a period of time where I, I went on a few interviews at around, um, I think it was like 12 offices. Um, I would say out of those 12 offices I looked at, because I was always looking at offices that emulated Spodak a little bit. So I, went to a few offices where the hygienists have been working there for like 28, 30 years, you know? So we're talking amazing doctor hygienist relationships at these offices. Um, I think one of the offices I went to, one of the doctors had actually purchased a home for one of the hygienists. So it was directly next to the office because she was having some struggles in the nineties. It was really amazing. Um, I won't mention the dentist's name, but he's a freaking amazing guy. Um, yeah. Um, but when I, I first started shadowing dentists when I was 17, uh, 17 and, um, uh, the relationship that that first dentist that I shadowed with their hygienist, it was kind of like a, every single time the hygienist walked through the room, he was working, he would put his stuff down. He would kind of like, uh, turn around and go, Yes. You know, you could tell that he didn't like being interrupted. Mm-hmm. And 
sometimes, you know, like I think last week, uh, I, I had a really special day last week mm -hmm. where I saw lots and lots of patients. And there was a moment when you came to me and uh, you asked me something and I just looked at you and I think I had just like this, like, oh my God, look on my face. And you were like, I'm so sorry, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh. I would, I would let, let me interject and say that that is the exception to the rule though with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, That's not the norm. And honestly, like I have worked at other offices and like, I, I get it. Like I truly do. Like I am thinking of when I'm in the middle of like a, an intense, like, project or moment and then someone's like hey excuse me I just I want to be like shut up go away you know like you're interrupting my genius here or like my train of thought or like I'm in the middle of something can't you see that like so I can only imagine what that must be like when you're working on these like you know $60,000 treatment plans and you're in the middle of, or like you know, even like a $5,000 treatment plan and you're doing a couple of crowns or something what it must be like to have to switch modes into hygiene checks after you're in this like intense single focus type of procedure like I would be pissed to be honest with you I think that the thing that that everyone can be aware of is that one on the hygiene side we need to be aware of that like yeah. oh my god you're in the middle of like this intense mental thing like that could you know has the potential to go really really right or really really wrong and the details are this big you know yeah. and every little minute and every little minuscule detail like is going to matter because yeah. thankfully you know not to minimize hygiene but thankfully in hygiene like if I miss a piece of calculus, like that sucks, but guess what? I'm going to see the patient again and I can remove it. Like if your margin on a crown doesn't seat right and it's uh -huh. open, like you're screwed. It's always like that. <laughs> you have to replace it. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I totally get it from that perspective and um, don't want to minimize that at all. I think that's one of the, th the reasons why we created that exam card so that we have that window of time, like, hey, whenever it's most convenient yeah. for you. So I get that from that perspective. And also from the doc perspective, knowing that while you were in the middle of this high dollar procedure, who put that procedure in your chair? Where did that procedure likely come from? Yeah. It likely came from your exam in hygiene last week. <laughs> like, that you were so, trying to do efficiently while you were, had two colleagues right. at the same time. Right. And then so you had the awareness. opportunity. It's yeah. the awareness on both ends because I totally, totally get it. I would be, I would probably be the worst doctor to be honest with you. I'd be like, shut up. <laughs> Go. <laughs> well, that's why, that's why you wanted to be a neurosurgeon, though. Right. Because the oral surgeon doesn't have to deal with hygiene checks. Right. Okay. Right. If Especially, you yeah. Deal, if you yeah. can't deal with multitasking and hygiene checks, don't do a specialty. GP is not for you. Don't be a prosthodontist. They don't have to do hygiene checks. Okay. Um, but uh, actually, that day, I think I was honestly from 9 to 10 30 between hygiene and restorative. At the same time, patients in the chair, 12 patients at the same time. It was a really weird day. Like, that's never happened in my career. I've never seen okay. 12 patients at the same time. Right. So, when you were saying a high-dollar procedure, honestly, it could be a $150 MO on number two that has right. a deep margin. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there trying to isolate this two-millimeter-wide area mm -hmm. so that you don't get any saliva or anything in blood. And then you see three of those hygiene check cards pop in at the same time. And then you look at the hour and there's 10 minutes left in all three of those other appointments. Right. And you just finished isolating for like 30 minutes, the tiny, teeny little area. <laughs> so in your head, you're like, okay, I got I to gotta throw a composite into this thing ASAP. 
then give those three hygienists five minutes between all three of them. That's usually where the anxiety kicks in. Yeah. But um, I know I'm beating around the bush. The general state of hygiene, um, I honestly think, because I've said this many times to, to Craig, um, I think the general state of dentistry in the country is broken. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's gotten there for many, many, many reasons that have nothing to do with the dentist, the increased cost of school. Mm-hmm. I know you said half a mil- like half a million dollar dental school debt. It's way above that for most just mm-hmm. four year graduates. If you mm-hmm. didn't, if your parents didn't help you out, if you weren't able to refinance, if your family situation wouldn't let you pay towards your student loans, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the cost of owning your own business, huge, yep. the real estate market. Mm-hmm. So you're now you're working for, for a, a big group, a corporate group, you know, um, you're just not doing dentistry the way you kind of thought in your head it was going to happen. Um, so I think that we have a lot of healing to do as a profession. Mm-hmm. We work in a very special place, Britt. Like we work in a very, very special place where a lot of the ideals are the reality. You right. know, like right. same day dentistry, lab on site. We have eight hygienists now. We have nine. 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 Mm-hmm. We have nine hygienists. Mm-hmm. And on that day where I saw in total for the day, 32 patients, which yeah. for some docs that work in corporate, that's a reality. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something, splitting your brain up 32 times for 32 people, uh, that's exhausting. Yeah. No matter who you are. You could yeah. be that guy on the other side of this, a girl saying, ha, 32, try 40. You know what I mean? But right. at the same time, it's like, if I'm giving someone 100% of myself, giving 32 people in eight hours 100% of your, yourself is crazy. Not realistic. Okay? Not realistic. No, you're enough. going to no. miss something. And like you said, that's like, that was definitely an exception. Like it was because yeah. there was only you and Dr. Craig and Dr. Craig, yeah. of course, you know, that day had his own clinical schedule and had his meetings and all the, the things that he does as a business owner, you know, yeah. on top of that. So it really left you as the primary, you know, POE doc, periodic exam doc that day. And that, that was a huge load on you. You know, one of the reasons we love you too, is because you have a great attitude about it, but you're absolutely right. Like patient care wise, like you can, you don't have that. That's, I don't think it's realistic to give that many people your best work, your best attention. You know, it's just not, so it's not ideal. I know that you did your best, but man, I hope that I don't, there's, it's not typical. And I hope that it never becomes typical, you know? Yeah. But you helped me fill out my note Mm -hmm. that day. Every hygienist that I saw at the 23 hygiene exams that I did that day, out of the 32 patients I saw, 23 was hygiene. All the hygienists helped me with the cards was huge. I prefaced the appointment. I walked in, I reiterated your findings. I did my clinical exam. As I'm doing it, they're writing it down on, on the computer. So when I went at the end, at, at the end of the appointment, when I sat down at my desk to uh, sign all the notes and make sure everything was there, mm-hmm. everything was there that I said. I had my everything dictated to me. Yeah. So in that instance where I think at one point I had three new patients at the same time, two periodic exams and two patients in my chair Mm -hmm. at that one hour block. So that's seven or eight patients. 
Yeah. I was able to complete all the new patient comp exam notes, the POE notes at my desk in five minutes because all the information was there to have to check it, go back into my rooms and do my restorative. Mm -hmm. And we had eight hygienists there that day or nine. Yeah, I know that was ops one through nine were hygiene. Right. And then Craig was in nine, actually. So ops one through eight were hygiene. So we were we were we were doing it, man. We were doing it. Right. And uh, it just without the collaboration. I'll say that again, without it, I would have been at the office till nine o'clock at night writing notes. But I left at six with all 32 notes signed and double checked. Right. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear, even though, that, you know, again, not an ideal day, but I'm glad that it worked no, out that way. But y'all helped me so much. I wouldn't have been able to, be you kidding me? No, I would have been drowning without the hygiene team. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Um, my next question is, I think we've kind of already answered this, so it might be an easy answer. Do you think that in many offers that in many offices, doctors view hygienists as an inconvenience or even adversarial? And why or why not? And you're just um, in your opinion, doesn't have to be right or wrong, you know, there's no no black or white. I think unfortunately, yes. Mm -hmm. um, I talked to my friends from school and just hearing what they say. Um, I think it all comes down to like earning and kind of like looking at someone else doing better and the mindset should always be look at how much they're helping people. How can I help someone like that? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, if you're a GP and you're averaging like 1500 to $3,000 a day in production and you're busting your ass to get that $3,000. Um, and then, uh, you know, hygiene might come in that's experienced and they blow you out of the water in your production. You're, it's not going to feel good, mm -hmm. but you have to understand that they're going to be able to teach you something and they're going to help you because everyone's the same. Uh, I'm sure every single GP listening to this has had this experience in your dental school class. There were hygienists that went to dental school. If anyone listening to this as a GP remembers, those students that were all hygienists blew everybody away with their knowledge, how fast they were getting their stuff done, mm -hmm. and uh, how quickly and easily everything came to them. Like, I'm not even kidding you. Every single hygienist that I went to school with was my go-to person to ask any questions about dentistry. They just had such a, an, amazing, um, an amazing understanding and a grasp of it already. And it goes the same, by the way, with your labs. So I know it's a completely separate subject. We're talking about hygiene doctor, mm -hmm. but for us, it's hygiene doctor lab. Those are the three relationships. And it's, it's so equal. Right. Um, the, the lab technician, who are in dental school with us. We all know the savants of the hand skills. Those guys were freaking killing it. Mm -hmm. um, we were the ones struggling, the ones that had no dental background other than shadowing. Um, if there was a hygienist or a, a CDT in your class, those were the people who were absolutely crushing it in school. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe there's just a little jealousy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, man, like, 
we have to get out of our own heads. We're not yeah. in competition with others. We're not trying to dictate treatment for the hygienist. Um, we're trying to figure out how we can work together. Um, can you imagine if like Shania Twain did her own um, marketing, did her own uh, uh, recording, did her own mastering, did her own lighting? Can you imagine if that one person tried to do everything? She relies on this massive team mm -hmm. of people that make her successful. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. no one can do it by themselves. Nobody. Right. And, and she pays them for what they specialize in, and therefore she makes a ton more money. Like without her yeah. marketing team that she she pays a pretty penny to, yeah. she wouldn't be as successful. No one, people wouldn't know who she was. You know, like right. that sort of thing. It goes with everybody. Mm -hmm. Massive Jeff Bezos, that guy, hundreds of thousands of employees. Right. He owns what six? He owns sixteen percent of Amazon or thirteen percent of Amazon, mm -hmm. making him one of the richest people in the world. He didn't own a hundred percent of it. He didn't own the one hundred and ninety billion dollar industry. He owned thirteen percent of it. Still billionaire, crazy money. But all those other billions went to the other hundreds of thousands of people that helped him create that. Yeah. So like, think of your team as like a mini Amazon, you know? If you're the Jeff Bezos of your team, your, your board is the one helping you. There's always like, you know, on Instagram, there's always those memes where like there's a Ferrari uh, and there's like 10 Ferraris behind the front Ferrari. And it's like, you know, those who do the best bring everyone with them. You know what I mean? Right. So in dentistry, if you want to be the best, you need to bring your team with you. There's a right. famous dentist on Instagram uh, with the same first name as me. And uh, his team, I remember there was a video a few years ago where he brought his team to Dubai. He rented like Ferraris for everybody to try out because he wanted them to share in the experience of driving one of these exotic cars that he owns. Mm -hmm. And he brings his team with him, you know? He flies them privately with him. He pays them extraordinarily well because that's who he is. He wants to make sure that the people who make his day better are feeling appreciated just like he feels appreciated. Mm -hmm. So um, just success leaves clues. I know that's something that Craig always says, success leaves clues. And it's true. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to look and see who's done it and succeeded at it and try to emulate it to the best of your ability. Right. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I, I'm just learning more about investing in really anything, you know, big picture investing, but also like in just regards to real estate market and real estate investing and like the most successful people in this are the people who think like, what will this earn me? Not what will it cost me? And um, they hire the best uh, tax accountants and like, you know, they hire the, they hire real estate agents. They don't like try and do it themselves. They aren't their own um, uh, property managers. They hire a property manager, you know, like you hire the people who, who specialize in that so that you can do more of what you're best at. And that equals like having the best going on without you having to physically be there. And that's like the, the, I don't know, the easiest way to be as successful as possible, like not doing everything yourself, basically right. like paying your people and you're still profiting. Like you're, you're going to profit way more by paying your people um, with, if you have the right people. 
you know, and the right. things within your organization. So, yeah, it's just an interesting perspective. Um, it, it's just an interesting perspective. I want to ask uh, regarding Spodak Demo Group, like how do you view doctor hygiene relationships within our office as they contrast to how they are like generally in our industry? Um, I think we have really, okay, like a majority of the docs that work in our office, I believe have an extraordinary relationship with our hygiene team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something that it's an, just like any industry, any person that we view at a higher level, like there's always struggles and it's through those struggles that make it better. But within us, I'd say that we have it really good. Like we are, my, one of my vendettas is trying to make sure that any onboarded doctor understands that the hygiene team uh, is, if I could imagine it, is just a team of little periodontists, many periodontists just trucking through their day. You know what I mean? Y'all are, yeah. Y'all are so important. Um, uh, I think I remember when somebody was onboarded and they're like, oh, I'm going to do this scaling. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this NSPT. We always get that with a new doc. They were like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fill up my day with hygiene. No. Uh, you can't do that. As soon as you walk in to a new place, you want to make sure that your hygiene team understands that you understand how important they are. Mm-hmm. I would rather see your schedule open. If I'm looking at another doc schedule, I'd rather see it open when you first start because that hygienist doing that treatment is going to tell you, hey doc, in this lower left area of scaling, I see a dark spot. This person's already numb. Why don't you handle this you see what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. It gives opportunity to that density. So if you fill your schedule up with hygiene and you're scaling the whole map in two hours and getting the production from that, you've just wasted two hours. Mm-hmm. Because if a hygienist sees an area of need, they're going to scale half the map or one quad in however much time it takes. Hey, you have two hours. See, so you have an hour opening here. Why don't you fill this tooth or do whatever treatment needs to be done? It, it affords for more opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, in our office, uh, we have worked tirelessly to hone the process of how we do exams and how hygiene has changed our lives. If we go through it from the beginning, we do a COE, which involves FMX, a PANA, full mouth period charting with mobility and recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also do photos and mm-hmm. we do a digital scan. That's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a ton of stuff to do in a 90 minute new patient appointment, a 90 minute new patient appointment, which we tell the people you most likely will get hygiene that day. Mm-hmm. So not only we're we doing all the diagnostics, including digital diagnostics, which is paramount for uh, modern dentistry, we're also giving hygiene on that day. So the patient is getting a lot of service in that first 90-minute appointment, more service. A lot of offices do just diagnostics in their first appointment and schedule everything. You know, um, We have spent years, years trying to hone that process, honing the time. So 
I think our office is a great example for other offices that are struggling with that. How do we, how do we onboard a patient, give them the best experience initially? And how do I maximize my ability to treatment plan uh, in that 90 minute window, you know? So in comparison to other offices that I speak with, not that I've had experience with because I work there, I would say that we uh, set a pretty good example for what it should be. What do you think makes the hygiene doctor relationships as good and successful as they are? Like if you could include key points, specific ingredients, like what do you think has made these things as ideal as they currently are? Well, um, I'm naturally just a, a little bit of an extroverted person, so I really like to get to know people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like getting to work early in the morning so I can talk to everybody and just talk about my day, talk about their day, um, ask the hygienists what their struggles are. Um, I think it's important to just get to know people as people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps you understand sometimes their treatment planning process. Um, it's just honestly it's building a relationship with the person because uh in every in every industry the thing that makes people successful is building relationships mm-hmm. um, a professional relationship to me means i'm going to get to know you as a person you may not be my friend uh, at the end of the day but at least i know you well enough that we can work together have fun working together, laugh a lot. Um, uh, I want to be able to be the person that you come to with a problem. I think when you work with a doc, it's so important that the doc understands you on more than just a professional level. Um, When a hygienist sees someone, and this happens a lot, you take you go, hey, you know, I'm your hygienist today. You last time you had your bite wings was uh, more than 18 months ago. It's really important for us to take these X-rays um, so that we can diagnose your issue. And the patient, the t- prototypical patient, says, "Oh, I just want a cleaning. I don't need X-rays." Yeah, and they're not going to listen to you, mm-hmm. unfortunately, because you're not the doctor, which right. I think needs to change drastically um, so usually the best report the best way to build report i found is you walk into that room and you're like oh wow you haven't had x-rays in 18 months uh you really need them we need to diagnose this medical condition that you have because mm-hmm. a tooth cleaning isn't like going to a car wash mm-hmm. and selecting works or deluxe it's you need a medical procedure that this individual can provide to you. But in order for me to authorize that, they need to take diagnostics to see what they're going. You wouldn't fly an airplane with a blindfold. I wouldn't clean, they, the hygienist wouldn't clean your teeth without x-rays. Mm-hmm. And giving, reiterating everything the hygienist said, uh, giving them the affirmation that what they told the patient was correct and the patient understanding at that point Oh, Mm -hmm. this person said all of the things the doctor said. Obviously, they know what they're doing. It builds confidence in the hygienist's ability to uh, like sort of start on diagnostics. 
so the doctor can reiterate them. Mm-hmm. And it builds that relationship between the doctor and the hygienist because now the hygienist knows, like you said earlier, there's a trust. Right. You know? right. I don't need to check your entire perio chart considering you do 10 of them a day. Mm-hmm. I just want to see on when I see three, two, threes everywhere and then I see like a weird six, mm-hmm. I want to check that one. Right. Because that's the most interesting place. Like, oh, wow, why is this person getting a six note? Obviously, you know, but it's because of my own interest. And I want to make sure that I'm not missing like aggressive peri or something crazy. Right. So right. what builds a relationship? Same thing that would build a relationship between you and a friend, you know, checking in, asking how they're doing. It's really simple yeah. if you think about it, you know. It's simple, it's simple, but. I think that it's interesting because we just the general we view like okay we have our friends and our personal lives and our families and our hobbies and our interests and whatever over here and then we have work over here and it's like we there's this general like perception of like I have to be a different person and interact in a completely different way and kind of like leave self at home and then come to work and be work self you know and I think a lot of us have that like belief or just have learned that maybe from our parents or from like our you know, whatever our society and culture have, have taught us. And just what you're saying, I think is just like, just remember that we're all humans. Like, why don't we treat each other like people? And I know that for me, one of the biggest things for, uh, that has helped me to build confidence and help to even teach and hopefully inspire like other hygienists is, you know, me doing something and you just coming in and never making me wrong, you know, for bringing something to your attention, even if like something doesn't need to be done. If I'm just concerned about the margin of a crown and it's not sticky, but it's, it's open. There's like access, but, but maybe there's more risk involved in removing it and replacing it than there is just letting the patient live with it that way. Like I'm totally open to you making that determination. You're the doctor at the end of the day. I'm just like, here, this is what I'm seeing. And you, if you came in there and you were like, oh no, like that's nothing needs to be done there. Why are you, why are you bringing this up? This is a waste of my time. And that was kind of like your attitude. That would be a big problem. You would be teaching me to stop doing that, to stop helping you essentially. And also you'd be diminishing my confidence. You know, but like you and our docs are really good about coming in and, and making us right in front of the patient. And uh, one of the things that I want to, uh, you know, kind of backtrack on something that you said about patients having the thought of like, you're not the doctor. So I don't, uh, you know, from the get go, trust you, think that you're as much of a valuable professional, so on and so forth. I think that there is some truth to that, but thankfully, I think that it's getting less and less every single day. And a part of that is like, I've even noticed like toothpaste commercials change over the last five and 10 years. Like now it's have a good checkup with your hygienist, not like your doctor recommends fluoride. You know, it's like, it's like they, everyone kind of globally is starting to realize even in the medical industry, like what a vital role hygienists play in patients overall health. Like with all the correlations that we're finding regarding perio disease and heart disease and Alzheimer's and arthritis and all the systemic comorbidities, you know. I think everyone is kind of stepping up and realizing the role that hygienists play in addition to like GPs in making sure that the mouth is healthy and therefore the body, you know, has a higher uh, likelihood of being healthy overall, you know? So I think yes and no. And I think that one of the the reasons why hygienists might come in, like, especially new hygienists, you know, we, we tend to doubt our abilities um, and doubt our findings and doubt our, you know, ability to do what's best for the patient and co-diagnose and all that stuff is, 
is maybe a belief of like, oh, I'm not the doctor. The patient doesn't think I'm the doctor. And I think we get in our own way in regards to that sometimes. Like it's our own mentality that we're projecting onto the patient that like confirms maybe like, maybe beliefs that they did or, or don't have, you know? But for me, like now I've been practicing, it'll be, uh, it'll be 10 years actually coming up this year. Um, but now I feel like I was very proficient as a new provider, obviously not as proficient as I am today, but I can honestly say like, now I don't go into it with an, I'm just the hygienist mentality. I'm like, I'm a hygienist. This is the value that I'm bringing to you. This is what I'm going to do for you today. Dr. Pazier is going to come in and do his own thorough evaluation. And we're going to collaborate on, on, um, you know, um, quarterbacking your care essentially, you know, I'm like referring you to whoever needs to go, but when it's presented to them like that, on top of these, you know, toothpaste commercials and medical professionals advocating for our position and all the stuff that's kind of like evolving in the hygiene realm, you know, in my opinion, I feel very good about, about that. And then when, and then having docs who come in and make us right, it's, it's like the best possible scenario, you know? So I agree with you. I think that's, that is one of the reasons why we have such good relationships. I sense the rapport that you try and build with us, just like you try and build with your patients. Uh-huh. And the fact that you really do care, it's not, you're not bullshitting us, you know, like you, you care, you care about us as people and as friends and want us to be successful as clinicians. You want the patients to get the very best care. We sense all of that, you know, and we want the same for you. So I think that when we can step back from our industry standards or industry beliefs, or maybe some like older beliefs kind of regarding hygiene and dentists and our relationships, I think it can go really, really well. So I appreciate your perspective and everything that you bring obviously to, to the table in regards to working alongside you at Spodak every single day. I feel like we're, we're definitely a blessed hygiene team. And I think, and I hope that I can say, you know, the docs are blessed to have us too. I think that that's true. We have some incredible hygienists and incredible doctors on our team and just the culture there is, is ever evolving, you know? Um, I want to ask you, what are some specific things and I'm going to answer kind of like from a hygienist perspective after this, but what specific things do you think that doctors can do to better align with hygienists and maybe improve morale and culture and embrace the we mentality versus like an us versus them mentality? Um, They need to recognize that the relationship that the, it all starts in dental school and I'll explain to you why. Um, The us versus them mentality started when we were in dental school Mm -hmm. and we'd show work to a doc and they would destroy us, mm-hmm. which I'm sure happened in hygiene school too. Mm-hmm. And they would destroy us and tell us basically that, you know, there were some doctors that utilized very awkward methods. Uh, I had a, a clinic doc one time in front of a patient when I showed him my class two prep. Uh, he literally looked at me and was like, what did you do? Why would you do that? Um, this, looks, this looks terrible. And this patient with a rubber dam in her mouth laying down was like, ah, you know, it, it just, <laughs> it all starts from that. And um, we need to embrace that that learning wasn't how we're supposed to carry ourselves for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. We need to embrace that we would never want another person to experience that. Um, and then we need to look we need to look at the relationship we have with every other person in the office, hygiene, front desk, um, call center, uh, treatment coordinator, hygiene assistant, sterilization. We need to understand that we're all small little pieces of a watch 
that without one of those pieces, we cannot function. And once we understand that all these people help this machine turn, and with, uh, once we understand that, and that's when we'll embrace how we want to speak to people, how we want to be spoken to. And if someone belittles you in the chair, if you're a hygienist listening to this or anyone else that's not a, a, a doc listening to this, you need to make sure that you're pulling that person aside at an appropriate time and discussing with them how they can make their lives better. Because if you don't speak, that person will continue the behavior. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was definitely that person in the very beginning. I'm not a timid individual. I'm not a timid individual. Uh, but I'm like, do I tear this guy's head off in front of a bunch of people like he just did? Mm -hmm. uh, or do I do it the right way? So mm -hmm. pull him aside. Talk about it. People won't change. Some people won't change unless you spark the change. Mm -hmm. It's a two-way street, you know? If a doc's treating you poorly, you need to pull that doc aside and let them know why they're treating you poorly, or, or at least tell them, this is what you're doing, and you need to stop, you know, simply spoken. If you're not great with words, talk to someone else in the office on how the approach should be. Mm -hmm. But like, tidbits for how to increase, you know, relationship stuff like that, it's like, man, you just got to stop viewing yourself as being this great thing, you know? Um, I, it was weird for me when I first got my license for people calling me Dr. Mike, you know, or Dr. Paisner. Mm -hmm. I thought it was too formal. Um, Dr. Mike is where I draw the line. You know, Mike is better. Uh, I think when we throw ego away, um, we actually start being way more successful. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have ego in my work. I don't have ego in my title. I've never in my, in my career once said, well, I'm the doctor, so this is how it's going to be. Right. And I hear it all the time. Um, and when my docs say stuff like that, that at the office, I pull them aside and I'm like, no, that's not how we do things. You need to help this person understand why you want it this way, mm -hmm. but you can't dictate it. And I know people will disagree with me. Well, I'm, I want it this way and this is how it's going to be and blah, blah, blah. Great. Um, does that person understand why though? Does that person see it the way you see it? Mm -hmm. uh, and if they don't, then maybe it's your job to help them understand because mm -hmm. no one's going to know what you want unless you explain it. Yeah. And I think we all have a tendency to think like, well, I communicated it once, so they should know. But if it was communication without like questions asked and follow up and circle back, like, hey, what did you get out of what I just said? Like, what did that mean to you? Because you may have communicated something and they, they just completely misunderstood it or thought you meant something completely different. And there is no should in regards to what people should and shouldn't understand or should and shouldn't get or should and shouldn't right. know automatically. Like, we can't read each other's minds and we're all bringing our former experiences, biases you know, whoever we've dealt with in the past, our cultural differences, social differences, like into us with every communicative interaction. Like you yeah. can't say like, I told you once, therefore yeah. you should know the next thousand times that we did. Like, it's not, it's not, it doesn't work that way. And the more like I have 
been in leadership, the longer I am in leadership, the more I realize like it, it, communication is never ending. Like you cannot say something once and have that be the end of it. If if that were the case, we'd all be done talking, by the way, we have nothing to talk about. So like, it is this ongoing two-way street and it has to be that way. When people say that if I told you once, I shouldn't have to tell you again, it's because leadership exhausts them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It exhausts them. A, because they probably should not be in leadership. They should have (laughs) someone else taking the reins for them. But what is the example that uh, Craig always says? uh, uh, We spend inordinate amounts of money as a country investing in uh, reminding people to wear a Mm seatbelt. It's like if the law was, well, we told you to wear a seatbelt when you got your driver's license and every single time so, someone to get pulled over for a seatbelt ticket, people still get pulled over for seatbelt tickets. Mm-hmm. But I think we spend as a country over a hundred million dollars, let's just say that, I know it's more, probably more than that, on wear a seatbelt ads, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So repetition, if we told someone the correct way to brush their teeth once when they were five years old, mm-hmm. they probably would have funky, funky teeth when they're 50. Well, maybe that's the problem with some of our patients. But um, <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, you're, you're going to see that person who's been brushing their teeth for 50 years. It looks like they're wearing, you know, fur coats on their teeth every single time they come in. Right. And you're going to see that 15-year-old with absolutely impeccable hygiene mm-hmm. because they're practicing, they're listening, and they're paying attention. Yeah. But I think that's it's very individual. Right. Uh, but it takes repetition. And you have, and like you said, the more and more you're in leadership, the more you're figuring out that it's just constantly having conversations. Uh, I think we're the kind of people that really enjoy having those conversations, which mm-hmm. makes us good leaders only because we understand what the needs are. We like seeing other people succeed. Mm-hmm. It makes us feel successful when others are doing well. Right. And we have no problem having conversations um, outside of our ego. And that is uh, the larger, bigger picture of the answer to your question. Practice outside your ego. Mm-hmm. It will make you a better person and it'll make you more likable, I guess, because people aren't going to be afraid to come to you and ask you questions. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think from the hygiene perspective, you know, something that we could do to um, better align with our docs is maybe, you know, become more aware and and gain some insight and education if maybe we don't have this already. Um, I, I'm, again, blessed to work at Spodak where everything is very like transparent. Like I understand for the most part what it takes to run our organization, like what the overhead looks like. Um, you know, I understand the production and collections and profitability of our practice and kind of get what things need to look like on a ground level for us to be successful as a whole. And I, I, I look at my own numbers, I check my own team's numbers, you know, I understand what our goals are. And I understand that a lot of hygienists don't get that, right? They, they don't have the opportunity maybe to be involved in that. Maybe they don't have an interest in being involved in that. So that's okay. Like, I don't think you have to be a hygiene specialist in how to operate the business. I think that some awareness goes a long way. Um, and that goes in regards to what we've already talked about in regards to like, realizing just realizing and this doesn't make anyone wrong or right better than less than but just realizing what your docs have invested and what they have gone through to to be where they are today like all the the years of education the money the risk of having those student loans if you became a practice owner realizing the risk associated with 
investing in this practice, like what Dr. Craig did in creating this Bodak now, you know, and, and creating our lead gold certified building and then hiring all these employees and trying to figure out the business end of things as he was working as well, you know, just realizing the investment that has been made and the investment that they are making in their teams, despite the fact that they didn't go to business school. Right. So they're just doing their best, you know, just realizing that everyone here is doing their best. You know what I mean? Just, just realize that that's where they're come from. They're assuming all the risk and hiring us as employees, essentially. That's what we are on paper. You know, I think I get this a little bit better because I've been made um, an owner in some sense. My name is not on the title, right? So I'm not an actual owner at all in any sense, but I have an ownership mentality because I understand what it takes to run this successfully. Part of that is, is giving me the opportunity to be compensated according to the work that I do. So understanding like from a doc's perspective, like, okay, I understand when there's no butt in your chair, it means you earn $0 and zero cents, but all your overhead is still there. You know what I mean? So like, I get that. So I I understand why this is so important, but I think just like a knowledge of that. And then when, when we come to the table asking for $50 an hour, $40 an hour, $60 an hour, depending on which state you're in and what your cost of living is, this is, this is all relative, right? It's all relative. Like state of Florida, $35 might be on the high end. California, $60 might be on, you know, it's all relative. So let's remember that. First of all, there is no, like, this is the right or wrong amount to pay your hygienist. Um, But, you know, as a hygienist, I think realizing if you can come in, understanding your numbers and say, yeah, I'm asking for $50 an hour, but I will produce minimally $150 an hour. Here's my historic numbers. You can see like on average, this is what it averages out to, you know, completing ethical care and the care that the patients actually need and, and doing high level assessment and high level diagnostics. I don't think that there's anything wrong with asking for that. As long as you can say, this is what my value is. This is what, this is the ownership that I'm taking over the investment that you're making in me. Uh-huh. Right. I think that would land much better than just like, I'm your employee. You know what? I've been working for 10 years. I deserve to earn $50 an hour. Like that doesn't give the dentist anything in regards to what am I going to bring to the table and why do I believe I deserve this? Or why do I think I'm, this is my value. You know, like, I think it's important that they, and I think they deserve to understand that. So I think from, from both sides, just realizing like the value of hygiene from a doc's perspective, and then just realizing the value of being able to walk in as an employee from the hygiene perspective is like, that would go leaps and bounds and miles and miles and miles, I think, in, in making our relationships better with one another, just some Absolutely. empathy and insight and awareness. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. No, hundred percent. I totally agree. Yeah, definitely higher awareness, higher levels of understanding. And that's just, I feel like you could take our conversation, take out the words hygiene, dentistry, and just insert it into every single industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said before, success leaves clues. You just got to look. If you're having a struggle, you're not the only one. If you've Mm -hmm. got a question, you're not the first person to ever pose this question. Um, Utilize your resources. Um, going back to what you said about the risk, I think it all stems from fear. When a doc is has that us versus them mentality, he's just afraid, how am I going to keep these doors open? How am I going to feed my family? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be able to do this? If I let a hygienist do this, uh, am I taking money? Am I taking food out of my family's mouth? No. Right. Well, that, well, then just imagine this scenario. Imagine the doc has all those fears and then the hygienist steps in and says, hey, I'm going to help you keep the doors open. I'm going to help us keep the doors open. And this is how I'm going to do it. X, Y, Z. This is how I want to be compensated for this. What are your thoughts on that? Huge. You know what I mean? Like just oh like God. understanding that yeah. just that, 
just that I think could could make or break, you know, or and change the dynamic of that relationship completely. I really, really appreciate your time today. Yeah. I really appreciate, as always, you know, hearing your perspective on things. You're a incredible human being, you're an incredible husband, father, dentist. Just appreciate you so much. I know that Thank I you. hope that you get that from our work relationship. I think absolutely, you. of course. And I definitely, definitely feel valued um, by you and from really all of our doctors. And I attribute a lot of that to your leadership, you know, just your ability to influence directly and indirectly, lead by example constantly. And just, I don't think that our doc department would be the same at all without you. So I just so appreciate you. I hope that everyone who's listening can sense like the realness of our relationship too. Like this isn't, a, this isn't like Dr. Mike and Brittany show that we're putting on here now. Like we honestly talk to each other like this in the operatory, you know, at our computers doing notes every single day. Okay. This isn't just like a, you know, a, a fake presence because we're we're uh, doing a podcast right now. Like this is the realness of our relationship. And I hope that everyone can see that. And I hope that it inspires someone to see that like, it can, it can go well, it can be good. It can be better. If you're struggling that there, there is, there is better. There are really good docs. There are really good hygienists. There are people who really do understand and want to get to the bottom of how to make these uh, relationships work the best that they possibly can. So I just really appreciate you. Um, do you have any final thoughts before we end this episode? Well, I just want to like send it all back your way too. Um, you're an amazing leader for our hygiene team. Our hygiene team has been the best it's ever been um, right now. And uh, if it wasn't for people like you, uh, there would probably be a, a larger overarching problem within hygiene as a global community. You're affecting the global community of hygiene. I want you to know that. Like I know other hygienists who talk about you and they talk to me, especially when we're at the, the summit, mm -hmm. uh, about your impact. Because I think that when I was listening to you and like actually Price talk at the summit, that was the most value for me out of the whole thing, honestly. Yours and Erica's thing. Craig, Craig's cool. <laughs> but the hygiene portion and the, uh, the front office portion that Erica did, those were super, super valuable things. And I love them. And uh, yeah, um, you will, if you're a hygienist and you're listening and you, you're, you're having this, these struggles, have those honest communications and don't think that you're stuck. You're never stuck. There is someone out there that will appreciate you mm -hmm. as a hygienist, as a doctor, as a front office person, as, uh, as a sterilization technician. There will be someone out there that will appreciate you find them. If you, if you've exhausted everything, that person doesn't deserve you. There is someone who does and you deserve that. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time again. And I just want to tell our listeners, um, Bulletproof Summit for 2022 is officially on the books. It is for Nashville. Um, it's coming June 3rd and 4th, and I could not be more excited. I'm in love awesome. with with Nash Vegas in the first place. It's one of my favorite cities um, and definitely in the entire US. Um, and I'm so looking forward to this. It is, I think gonna blow people's minds. We have um, multiple tracks running at the same time this year. So Sharice uh, and I have almost two full days. The docs have almost two full days. The team has almost two full days and you can kind of choose your track. It's more a la carte. So if you have an office manager who wants to learn about something hygiene related or something marketing related, you know, you can jump in with the docs, you can jump in with the hygienist. You're not just stuck on one track. You can really tailor it to what your needs are in your individual practices because no one knows that better than you, obviously. So 
We are so, so excited about it. Looking forward to seeing you there. If you want more information about this, uh, you can go to bulletproofsummit.com. And as always, Sharice and I are open to um, answering questions, um, troubleshooting things with you guys uh, on our Mighty Network. It's an app you can download. It's mightynetwork.com. And you can search Bulletproof Hygiene. We are looking forward to talking to you in the future. And thanks so much for joining us today. No problem. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hedging Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you. 